Welcome to Literary Quest, a podcast hosted by us, Vicki and Marissa, where we discuss our favorite and fantasy fiction and hopefully can direct you in your quest to find your next great read. Welcome to this week's episode of Literary Quest. We are going to be talking about the second book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, The Two Towers by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm going to review our characters and Marissa will do our plot. Um, I, again, took most of this from Sparknotes because it was available. So we're going to start with Frodo Baggins. He is the ring bearer and main protagonist of The Lord of the Rings. Frodo, a lowly hobbit, has accepted the tremendous, tremendously dangerous task of returning the ring to the fires of Mordor, in which it was created, the only place where it can be destroyed. In the later stages of the novel, the ring becomes a difficult burden for Frodo, who relies increasingly on his friend Sam for support. Frodo is the world's okayest hobbit. We have Samwise, or Sam Gamgee. He's the hobbit who serves Frodo, traveling with his master on his quest to return the ring to Mordor. Sam is more practical and sensible than Frodo, but is also more emotional and less able to control himself. He would definitely bring you breakfast in bed. We have Gandalf the White, a wizard of supreme good and a staunch enemy of the corrupted Saruman and the evil Sauron. Gandalf the Grey, seemingly killed in the Fellowship of the Ring when he falls into a chasm, returns from beyond the grave as Gandalf the White or the White Rider. The enormously powerful wizard aids the hobbits in their quest to destroy the ring. And he feels very strongly about accessories. We have Legolas. He is the only elf in the fellowship, possessed of superhuman eyesight that serves him well in warning his traveling party of approaching orcs, and he's obsessed with trees. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard! <laughs> and then we have Gimli. Here's a, he is a fierce dwarf hero. He's an ex, expert in wielding his axe against orcs. Naughty. He's fond... <laughs> He's fond of caves and rocks and unhappy in forests. I want to say that that is literally what was in Spark Notes. Unhappy in forests. This was their description. Okay. I don't know how you could be unhappy in a forest. <laughs> he's threatened by trees. <laughs> and yet he's friends with Legolas, but whatever. All right. Uh, so Gimli follows Aragorn and Legolas in pursuit of the hobbits. And he would definitely be stroking Galadriel's three strands of hair when no one is watching. We have Aragorn. He is a human warrior, the heir of Isildur. He is in league with Gimli and Legolas to aid the hobbits in their mission to destroy the ring. And he name drops his sword constantly throughout this book. We have Pippin Took. He is a hobbit who, along with his friend Mary, is cut off from the rest of the fellowship during a battle with orcs. Merry and Pippin spend much of the Two Towers trying to rejoin Gandalf's group, and he appreciates weed so much that he carries two pipes. We have Merry Brandybuck, Pippin's companion, also separated from the Fellowship at the beginning of the Two Towers. Merry and Pippin make their way to join their companions, pursued by orcs who mistakenly believe them to be in possession of the ring. And he makes the best charcuterie boards you've ever seen. We have Sauron. 
the Dark Lord of Mordor, the primary antagonist in Lord of the Rings, Sauron, who created the One Ring, is driven only by his desire to retrieve the ring. He never appears during the novel. We see only his great eye and his dark tower in Mordor. Sauron's rule has made the land of Mordor barren and inhospitable. Sauron is definitely compensating for something. Then there's Saruman the White. He's the most powerful wizard in Gandalf's order. He was once a force of good and a cohort of Gandalf, but he becomes corrupted by power and takes over the realm of Isengard. There, Saruman plots to seize the ring and breeds a new race of evil orcs that do not fear sunlight. He would definitely convince you to buy a $700 vacuum that you don't need. Then we have Gollum, also known as Sneagle. He's a strange creature. Gollum once carried the ring himself, but lost it, and now attempts to get it back. Though at times pathetic and even somewhat sympathetic, Gollum is deceitful and treacherous to the core, feigning humilities to his master Sam and Frodo after they tame him, only to then lead the hobbits to danger. He also allegedly looks like a squirrel, somehow. Then we have Treebeard. He's one of the Ents, a race of giant, mobile, tree-like creatures. The 14-foot-tall Fangorn is one of the oldest creatures in Middle-earth. He's an authority figure to the other Ents, and he shows great hospitality to Pippin and Merry, who are given food by him. He's the best character in this whole book. We have a couple of locations. We have the Fangorn Forest that we go through. There's Rohan, Isengard, and Mordor. All right. Let's do the plot. Let's do it. All right. So we started the two towers with Boromir's death. At the end of the last book, he tried to take the ring from Frodo. Frodo and Sam fled, but Boromir stuck around and then the orcs attacked and he died defending Merry and Pippin from the orcs, though they were ultimately taken. Aragorn finds Boromir, who admits what he tried to do to Frodo, and then Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli do what they can to send Boromir's body off appropriately, and then they take off on foot following the orcs and the hobbits. They pass through the realm of Rohan, tracking the orcs, and walk for a long time. And in that time, they run across Eomer uh, and the Rohirrim, which are a guard of horsemen that protect Rohan, who are threatened at first by Aragorn and his company. But when Aragorn name drops his sword and explains their mission, they give Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli two horses and encourage them not to get too hopeful because they already slaughtered all of the orcs that the, our friends are chasing after when they ran across them. And then they piled up and burned their carcasses and they didn't see any hobbits. Meanwhile, Merry and Pippin, who had been kidnapped and carried or made to run across Rohan by the orcs are not faring super great. Everyone wants to eat them and they would likely be dead if not for a couple of head orcs that are Team Saruman versus Team Sauron that are determined to uh, get the hobbits alive and unspoiled to their masters per their request. One night near Fangorn, for Fangorn Forest, one of the orcs sneaks away with Merry and Pip, but the Rohirrim arrive and the orcs are engaged in battle. And so Merry and Pippin escape into Fangorn Forest. Now, Fangorn is an old forest, and the trees are kind of angry. And so as they're making their way through the forest, they run into Treebeard, who is an ent and the spirit of the Fangorn. 
and is also a shepherd of the forest. Mary and Pip explain the circumstances surrounding their mission, Saruman's betrayal, and Treebeard takes them with him to his home. The next day, he calls an int moot, which is a meeting of all of the ints. They get together and they make a plan to attack Saruman's tower in Isengard, and they take off with Mary and Pippin in tow. Meanwhile, Aragorn finds signs of the hobbit out, hobbits outside of Fangorn, and he and Legolas and Gimli make their way inside the forest to find them. He comes to a shelf where the hobbits and Fangorn met, and when they arrive, they discover an elderly man coming towards them. They're alarmed because they think it's Saruman. But then Gandalf reveals himself, and everyone is happy because he's not dead. He explains how he's alive, and then he also explains that the hobbits are taken care of, and they, Gandalf, Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, must make their way to Edoras, which is the home of Theoden, who is the king of Rohan, because there is mischief afoot. It's just as well that they do this, because Aragorn had promised to come back and help Aemir when he was finished with his task with the hobbits. And so they get to Edoras, and they discover that Theoden has been bespelled by the negative influence of Grima Wormtongue, who is his advisor, but who is also an agent of Saruman. Gandalf uses his magic staff, and Grima is expelled from Edoras. Gandalf explains that an army is coming from Isengard to destroy the men of Rohan, and so they make their way to Helm's Deep, where the siege is coming. They realize they're grossly outnumbered, and Gandalf rides off to get more help. They arrive at Helm's Deep, and the battle comes shortly thereafter. Things begin to seem dire, but then Gandalf arrives with an army of a thousand men, and Saruman's Urukai are defeated. Gandalf and company with Theoden and some of his men make their way to Isengard, where they discover Merry and Pippin guarding the gate among the ruins. It seems that pissing off the Ents is a bad idea because they destroyed the grounds surrounding Isengard and flooded the area and now have Saruman trapped in his tower with Grima. Gandalf tries to get Saruman to join his side of things, or at the very least, to just stop working with Sauron. But Saruman impolitely declines. They leave him stuck in his tower. Grima tosses a polished rock or a palantir, which is a seeing stone, at them as they leave. And Pip catches it, but Gandalf takes it away. Pip is a really nosy hobbit, though, and so that night he steals it from Gandalf. And Sauron uses it to basically mind meld him. And Gandalf is really annoyed by this because he thinks that Sauron uh, is going to basically steal information that they don't need him to know about them. But it actually ends up being kind of helpful because they learn that Sauron thinks Saruman may have the hobbits, which actually serves Gandalf and company pretty well. And Pippin didn't actually reveal any information that the enemy didn't need to have. However, Pippin is now in trouble uh, because Sauron knows who he is and what he looks like. And so Gandalf and Pippin ride off into the night towards Gondor because it's not really safe for Pippin anymore. Now, let's switch perspectives. So from Frodo and Sam's perspective, they're trying to navigate the Emin wheel, which is tricky, and they are being followed by Gollum. So they decide to trap Gollum 
which he doesn't respond well to, but Frodo is able to get him to swear on the ring that he will help them get the ring to Mordor. So he leads them across wasteland and nasty marshes with dead bodies in the water to the gate of Mordor, which they very quickly realize is going to be impossible to get through. And so they don't know what to do because it's certain death if they try to go in the front door. But Gollum reveals that there might be another way that they can go, but it's another really long walk and it will be dangerous. They don't really have any other options but to go this route though. So just a lot more walking happens. On the way to this other entrance, they run into some men from Gondor who are there to fight a company of men that are coming from the south to join Sauron. One of these men is Faramir, who they learn is Boromir's brother. The men take Sam and Frodo with them to a secret cave where Faramir questions them about their quest and how they knew Boromir. He reveals that, reveals that Boromir is dead, which shocks them. And then Faramir realizes that his questioning is better suited for privacy. So he moves them to a quiet corner for a drink and to learn more about their mission. And it's at this point that Sam basically outs Frodo's possession of the ring and their mission and their whole goal here, which is not ideal. But Faramir swears not to take the ring from Frodo and to help him if he can. Later that night, he finds Gollum, who has been MIA since the men showed up, stealing fish from a forbidden pool. He basically makes Gollum swear to never come to that area again. And he permits him to travel with Frodo. But if he's ever seen without Frodo, they're going to kill him. And so they leave for the rest of their mission. They reach the trail. There's a lot of stairs. On the way, Frodo almost gets sucked in by the ring, the ring's draw to one of the nine wraiths. But he's able to restrain himself. And they end up getting to the end of the trail. And then Gollum leads them into a dark tunnel and disappears. This tunnel smells terrible. And they realize they're being followed by a giant spider whose name incidentally is Shelob. It seems that Gollum has worked with her in the past and brought creatures to her to snack on. And this is part of his big plan to finally get the ring back from Frodo. And so the spider Shelob chases them. And as they're running away, Gollum attacks Sam. Sam defends himself and Gollum flees, but Frodo has been stung by the spider and Sam attacks and wounds the spider, which then also flees back to her cave. Sam thinks Frodo is dead and he is devastated, but he can't stop now. He decides to take up Frodo's mission. He gets his ring and swords and sword and he leaves. But as he is leaving, orcs turn up and they find Frodo. And Sam learns from the orcs that Frodo isn't actually dead. He's just been poisoned and he will wake up, but it's too late. They've already got Frodo and they take him with him with them to question him later. And so Sam takes off after them using the ring to be invisible to save Frodo. And that's where book two ends. We're not doing spoilers. Um, what'd you think of this book, Vicky? I, so I read again instead of listening to audiobook. I did listen to some of the audiobook. You're right; these books are definitely better through audiobook. Um, but I just felt like I could read faster than I could listen, so I read. Um, it was fine. The second half of the book I did not really enjoy that much. All of um, Sam and Frodo because there was a lot of walking. 
There was so much there was so much walking in this book. Yeah. What did uh what did you think of the book, Marissa? Oh, it was fine. I didn't like this one as well as I liked the first one. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed the first part of it better than the second part. I just honestly don't care about Frodo and Sam. I don't care. Yeah. I could read a whole book about ants. Mm-hmm. Their chapter was my favorite. It's like chapter four in the first part. And I love that. I could I could read that all day long. Mm-hmm. But I got to Frodo and Sam's part and I was like, ugh. It's just like a lot of cardio and bickering. Yeah. I mean, if they're just sam's bickering with Gollum, and they're trying to like i don't know coddle Gollum so he'll do the things that they want and Gollum is like complaining and misery whoa i mean like yeah it's just the ring is so heavy um well it's interesting because so i've seen the movies more than i've read the book and we talked a little bit about this on our own, but the characters in the book aren't nearly as developed as ones in the movie. Yeah. Which is interesting to me. And you can see it in the spark notes too, because like Gimli's, I mean, literally he just like, doesn't like trees. That was part of his description. His description was two sentences. Doesn't like trees. (laughs) Yeah. And part of it was that he doesn't like trees. That's a defining characteristic of this character. (laughs) Like, there's so much more to get at least in the movies you know there's so much more depth to him and like even when you go into the like view full character analysis which is only there for like Frodo and Gandalf there's not that much there which I didn't expect at all no it's been so long since I did not expect that out of this book no I feel like the characters lacked dimension mm-hmm. there's just not a I don't feel like I know these characters after reading 800 pages of description <laughs> and you would think with all of the description because there is so much that you would have a like a pretty good understanding of characters and feel some depth and some type of emotion related to them. And I just find them to be kind of flat. And I find their story arcs besides, I mean, I just feel like they really fleshed out the characters in the movies. And so controversial opinion here. I enjoyed the movie better. I think the movie was better than the book. I know that they changed a lot in terms of the plot and stuff, but in terms of the overall character development and I think what they changed with the plot made a lot of sense and I I just enjoyed it a lot. Aamir, for example, has a large part in the, the second, I mean, compared to what we see here, much larger part in the second and the third bo- movies. He like shows up kind of ran like, yep, he's the leader of the horses and he goes to the battle. And that's about it for Aamir. He's got more of a role in the third movie. And I don't remember what happens with him in the third book. But 
I feel I feel things about the characters in the movies. I for all of the description in the book, I feel like none of it's devoted to the characters. Which is interesting because I didn't get that feeling from The Hobbit when we covered The Hobbit. No. So it's interesting that for some reason it, it was in this series, but not in The Hobbit, you know? It's longer and everything. Yeah. I just felt mm. like it was a little boring. Now, the description of the the world and the scenes are great. They're very thorough, which is fine. Mm-hmm. As a reader, I would rather have that for characters. Ideally, there would be a balance. Right. So, uh, yeah, I don't get it. I don't get why everybody thinks Frodo's hot shit either. Like, what? what is there? Why does every, like... In the first book, they talk about how Gandalf thinks Frodo might be like the best hobbit or the second best hobbit there is. And uh, he's so wise and Sam thinks he's so wise. And I mean, I don't I don't get it. He doesn't show anything, at least in these first two books to me, really, that backs up this wise statement. Right. First off, he makes horrible decisions all the time. He forgot his pack. Right. Like when he was leaving, they make a statements like, oh, Sam would have been the one who brought the pack. Like he wouldn't have left that. That's why the pack is missing. Mm-hmm. Like Frodo was just going to set out to like sail away with mm-hmm. no supplies. And he's the wisest hobbit of them all. Mm-hmm. It's not looking good for hobbits. No. He makes this deal with Gollum, which is smart, right? Gollum's the only person around them that's been to Mordor. So that's a good resource. I don't feel like he approaches him with the appropriate guardedness that he should, though. Like There's very little caution in the way that he seems to interact with Gollum. And he has to realize at some point that Gollum is going to want the ring back (laughs) i know and he somehow thinks that the ring is going to keep Gollum like contained in a way sort of because he made him swear on the ring yeah but this oath that Gollum gave right there's the loophole in it of like the master of the ring which is which changes he could be the master of the ring yeah and it's like, what? Like, clearly you've never been around like any fae or any creatures or anything, <laughs> Frodo. Like, you're just like, yeah, sure, that works. Why not? I trust. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. And we've got Sam over there being like, oh, I don't like those. He also has like, he like points out that, you know, he's got two personalities, Gollum and Smeagol, and they seem to argue with each other. Sam's like, have you noticed this? And Frodo's like, it's fine. What? He swore on the ring. It's fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. And then when they do finally get to the tunnel, Mm -hmm. Frodo's like, all right, well, you let us here. So I guess we're good. (laughs) You can go on now, my dude. Do you really think that Gollum is going to let you 
get away with the ring? You yeah. have lost your mind. Especially because he has like, so Frodo has the ring, so he knows like the draw and the pull to it. And so he's just assuming that somebody had it for like hundreds of years beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's just going to walk away. No. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Unrealistic naive it does not make sense to me so and then we have sam who remembers to bring the pack and remembers rope and is wary of uh Gollum, you know and everyone's like what a stupid little hobbit sam is like what at one point um somebody says to him it's like don't speak your master has more wit than you or something like that yeah. Like, what? And then later on, he's described as like a stupid, silly hobbit. And there's another instance. It's like, why? He's the, he's the backbone here. Mm-hmm. What's his deal? Like, why does everyone? Why does everyone hate him? They don't hate him, but they just don't see his value. And I, I do think that Sam is a very valuable character to Frodo. Frodo. I mean, let's get real. Gollum would have killed Frodo much sooner (laughs) if Sam hadn't been around. Mm -hmm. uh, We, we, we wouldn't have a story because Frodo would be dead. So Sam, I think is certainly a very valuable character. There are a few instances where I don't appreciate Sam's character quite as much in this book. One of them is when he outs Frodo having the ring to Faramir. Oh yeah. Like I said, in my, I mean, I just, Frodo's been trying this whole time to not mention the ring and Sam's been quiet mostly up to this point. And then Sam starts talking about Boromir and he's like, Hey, by the way, your brother tried to steal the ring. (laughs) All right. Uh, Lack of finesse Mm -hmm. in this situation. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a perfect character. He's not. Billy doesn't get as much credit as he should. Yeah. Yeah. And Frodo is not a perfect character either. And I feel like, you know, we get some development in terms of that. It's, we see some of his flaws. He chose to take the ring because no one else would. He doesn't really want it. He's tried to give it away like eight times. (laughs) He's not super great at being on guard. Like he... Sam is doing all of the work it seems like he's got the pack and carries the rope and I don't I'm I legit don't know what Frodo is doing to share the load on this little adventure he's got Um, the ring that's it and you know it's heavy so takes a psychological toll you know what it makes me think of? See, we pointed this out. Harry Potter, when um, Ron, they all take turns wearing that um, oh, one horcrux. Yeah. Yeah. I need, I should look up like similarities between these two books because there seem to be a lot. I mean, they refer to Sauron as I don't know if they call him he who must not be named, but there's definitely some type of verbiage similar to that, which is how they talk about Volnabort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
The relationships between the characters are one of my favorite parts about this story, specifically looking at Legolas and Gimli's friendship. That's mm -hmm. one of my favorites. I also love how they interact with Aragorn. They're a little friend group, Merry and Pippin as well. Their part of the story was definitely my favorite, but Legolas and Gimli's like back and forth, some of their banter, how Legolas promises to go explore the caves if Gimli will go explore the forest. I love how they make plans for after this adventure is over. Yeah, me too. They're planning to stay friends, which is interestingly so um, in my head for whatever reason, maybe it's because it was like the, I watched them, like, I don't know. I don't remember Legolas and Gimli being close like this, right? I always thought that they weren't like, they were more of like a frenemy situation with Legolas kind of being stuck up about everything. Um, but that's definitely not in the book. Yeah. I don't know where I got that from. But they're back and forth on counting who has the many kills. It was, it was fun yeah. too. Yeah. I mean, their friendship is like that in the movies as well. There's mm -hmm. not, I mean, they start off with some contention, but they get close, especially in the second movie. And they do that where they're, they count off their kills too in the movie too. Yeah. Yeah. I really just like seeing their friendship and the way that they interact and the way that they pull Aragorn into. And then even after they've gone to Isengard with Gandalf, they, instead of going with Gandalf and Theoden and the other leaders to discuss whatever, Aragorn, Legolas, and Gimli stick around with Merry and Pippin to eat, basically, and just kind of catch up because they've been trying to get them and they want to know what's been going on, uh, what happened to them and stuff. So even just like their little friendship within the fellowship, it's nice to see that type of camarader camaraderie. Is that the right yeah word is that a word yeah yes okay camaraderie with those characters um i so i guess when this book was written like it wasn't a thing to include multiple female characters who were powerful or contributed anything to the plot yeah I, guess. It, I don't mm -hmm. know I I don't know because you know it's a product of the time you know yeah as well like I don't know how much people were looking for like female representation I guess in the books and books in general yeah um in the 50s yeah. in that context this is fine I mm -hmm. guess but we want more from our books now and it's interesting that even now in fantasy novels a lot we, when they're written by men or even we feel like comic books or um anything like that women are hypersexualized yes more so than giving depth mm -hmm. to it yes I mean if you think about the costumes that are used to represent female characters a lot of times particularly in comic books um but sometimes I mean even in movies and stuff mm -hmm. they are designed to often 
showcase women who have very large breasts. Minimal clothing, minimal coverage. The actual practicality of these outfits is not a thing. And right. so I just, I don't know. And then you take that and make it like, you look at how that could have manifested in the video games and stuff that we see, which I feel like hypersexualizes female characters often too. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there kind of remains this vibe in many cases of misogyny directed towards female characters. This is maybe less common in current fantasy novels yeah also most of the fantasy novels i i read anyway they're all written by women Mm -hmm. the majority of them are written by women so they're of course um going to give females or hopefully they'll give the female character characters more depth you know tend Mm -hmm. to push back against misogyny and the patriarchy a little bit um in them yeah so yeah i feel like a lot of times fantasy particularly fantasy romance novels are uh, spoken badly about or like they're called fairy porn or things like that uh because there's also a romantic storyline woven into the story or something like that or you know and I have a problem with that because first of all there's nothing wrong with having romantic storylines in books regardless of the gender of the person who's writing them um but also it is not encouraging to me to, I don't, and I don't have an interest in reading books about women where they are used as, um, I don't know, slaves sometimes for the male characters, uh, where their safety is constantly a threat, they're killed or raped within the story and I feel like that happens yes I feel like rape is somehow in a lot of like books and movies and stuff that's like their defining moments of this like turnaround point for them mm-hmm. whatever and it's like stop using rape as like a like character device like it's called something I don't know but like that's they can develop in other ways. They don't have to be raped. They don't have to lose a family member. They don't, you know, like yeah. they can just be people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and I feel like I'm less likely to see that if I'm reading a book written by a female. Mm-hmm. Now that is not the case with the series that we just covered by Ann Bishop, where everybody was <laughs> raped. Um, but I don't, we live in a world that's scary enough right now to the safety of women. And I feel like people 
struggle to understand like for example i i read books to escape from the reality of the world that we live in it is not an escape to me if i'm having to be vigilant within the story about the character safety i already spend a lot of energy making sure that i'm situationally aware and that i'm safe and living with the fear that if I'm not vigilant about being safe on my own, then I'm going to be raped and murdered. I don't want to feel that way when I read books. Yeah. So in this book, we get, there are two female characters that get mentioned. They talk about Galadriel several, several times in this book. In the first book, they mentioned Galadriel and Arwen. Arwen is very briefly mentioned. She doesn't have any dialogue. They describe her once and that's it. They talk about Galadriel several times in this book. And she's the only female in the last book that had any, any dialogue. And she doesn't have any dialogue in this book because she's not physically in it. And then they mention Eowyn, who is Eomer's sister. And I don't think she actually has, if she has any dialogue, it is very minimal in this story too. So two characters in this book, only one of whom within the series so far that has any sort of power um i this is another reason i think why i appreciate the movies probably more so than the books they really explore the female characters aowen they build a storyline for her arwen they build a storyline for her galadriel gets a lot more fleshed out in this book and in the hobbit Meanwhile, there are no female characters in The Hobbit. And if we look at the movies, I mean, thank you, Peter Jackson, for creating Tariel, female character. Galadriel, mm -hmm. so we've got two females. All right. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think it's good that he took, I mean, basically he took like their names and their positions and gave like gave them depth and fleshed them out. Mm -hmm. you know for the movies yeah. that was smart that was really smart yes it is I um don't know how I would have responded to these stories if there had been no female representation in them in the movies because mm -hmm. um, I love them yeah. and I love how the females are portrayed because they're still like venerated they're still um like protected or whatever but Eowyn, for example, her character, she knows how to fight and she goes into battle in the third movie. And I can't remember if she does this in the third book or not. Goes into battle, is given a very strong role and is explored very heavily in the movies. She's very briefly mentioned in this story. Arwen even. She um, acts as like a catalyst in the movies right she's the one that so they explore her relationship with Aragorn and she's the one that tells her dad Elrond like you need to reforge the sword you saw my child I'm gonna stick her around and stay with our Aragorn so her role she functions as like a catalyst for the reforging of the sword right mm -hmm. we don't get that type of exploration in the books and I get it it was the 50s <sighs> women were housewives and didn't have prominent leadership roles and things like that. So I appreciate the adaptations that they've made to make women's roles more prominent in the movies. 
because I don't think I would have enjoyed them in the same way if they hadn't. So for all the problems that we have, you know, there is a point in this book where I was like, oh, wow, good for the male character. Um, so Aemir says something about Lady Galadriel that upsets Gimli, right? And Gimli calls him out on it. He's like, don't you talk about her that way, essentially. And um, instead of getting defensive and stuff like that, Aemir just apologizes. And he literally says, like, I'm like curious to learn like more and learn better. Like, teach me. I was like, this is a good, like, non-toxic moment for them. Like, cool. It really stood out to me. Yes. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the characters in this book must have just calves of steel so much walking they do so much walking or jogging even mm -hmm. there's one point where it says like they traveled for a couple days without any rest yeah <laughs> what and like you're just all right just powering through you know just gonna power through get a snack and keep walking mm -hmm. yeah it's pretty intense. I don't think I could hack it. Oh, I no, need, no, no. I need yeah. breaks and snacks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. Uh, there is a chapter. It is chapter four. It is my favorite chapter in this whole book because it's a whole chapter devoted to Treebeard and to the Ents, and it made me so very happy because the descriptions in this chapter are delightful. I feel like I'm in the forest and I would happily stay there. Mm -hmm. It's just really nice. Yes. It, Tree Bear's interactions with Merry and Pippin, the, the way that he tells them not to be too hasty, <laughs> the way that he picks them up and carries them and he kind of talks about like the and wives and he there first of all what i really appreciate about this book is that there are not so many songs in it um that was nice and then um the like the description of him laying down to go to bed how he barely bends and just kind of i just imagined a tree falling over <laughs> <laughs> i tried to mimic it <laughs> how'd it go my bed's pretty high so i just kind of flopped backwards <laughs> And I wasn't fully on the bed, you know, because it's so high. So I had to like swing my legs up because you're trying not to like bend too much. Yeah. It's not very practical. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just thought I, I appreciated all of all of the descriptions. And also Quickbeam, who's another int. He's the hasty int. He's the one that gets the one that gets in a hurry. <laughs> I just appreciated all of the different descriptions surrounding them. Yeah. We yeah. also have like other scary trees here too. So they describe the Huorns, which are scary trees that are like, they eat the orcs. Mm -hmm. I almost pictured like a, like a spirit tree or something. Yeah. 
see that. Yeah. I do think it's interesting that we get a callback to some Fey lore in this chapter as well. Mm-hmm. So in Fey lore, they're really particular about sharing their names because when you have something's true name, you have power over that. Mm-hmm. And so Mary and Pippin introduce themselves to Treebeard and they're like, yeah, we're Mary and Pippin. And he's like, you just shared your name with me. I'm not going to tell you my name. Mm-hmm. He says, you'll be careful. You'll be letting your own write names out if you're not careful. And they're like, yeah, we don't, that's not a thing for us. And he says, well, you're just being hasty people, but I am honored basically <laughs> by you telling me your name. Thank you. Yeah. It was good. I think this probably was the best chapter in the whole book. Mm-hmm. And they help him rewrite the song about the races of Middle Earth. They add mm-hmm. a line about hobbits. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. you'd never heard of a hobbit before. Mm-hmm. So. Yes. I just loved everything about the descriptions. And then I love when they decide, all right. We're pissed and we're going to go knock Sauron's tower down. <laughs> it was great. Yeah. The last March of the Ents. Mm-hmm. I like that it didn't take them a lot of time to make an actual decision. Mm-hmm. And they point that out. It's like, yeah, it takes a long time to like present all the facts. But once we do, we are able to make a decision pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I read a statement in one of the book groups that I'm in that Peter Jackson gave Aragorn like an actual plot and a story arc. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't thought about that before, but it does feel true. So far in this book, he just like walks around a lot and maybe gives advice sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like we know a little bit about his history and he's got his sword and he pulls a sword out all the time. But I think Peter Jackson really explored the implications of his family line and history and the impact that that had. Yeah. Okay. So when you're wondering why the movies are like four hours long, it's because Peter Jackson gave the characters proper proper development. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) That is it. He he gave them like plots and (laughs) storylines and a backstory and some emotional depth uh Gandalf is alive to the relief of everybody mm-hmm. fighting the Balrog leveled him up makes me think of Super Mario when he gets a hold of one of those plans and can't make it sound <laughs> I'm not good at sound effects you know when he goes from little Mario to grown Mario mm-hmm. that's Gandalf also I think it's hysterical that he came to Rohan asked for a horse and Theoden was like take a horse and so he took the best horse <laughs> Shadowfax and then Shadowfax returned to Rohan without Gandalf and wouldn't let anyone else ride him oh that was great yeah when so the battle at Helm's Deep is very different from what happens in the movie Mm -hmm. um Amar first of all is with them he's not off with the Rohirrim which is what happens Gandalf leaves he goes and gets the Rohirrim brings him back and on the last day rolls up at sunrise and that's the end of the battle um the series of events that occur around the battle are very different and that's fine 
I think um, the way that it's told in the movies kind of adds some to the the drama of the story, but that's fine. Um, but then after that, they go to Isengard to Saruman's tower, and you don't see this scene, not really, not much of it. You see a little bit at the beginning of the third movie. You don't see a whole lot of this. I think some of it got cut, actually, because it seems like I've seen some deleted scenes where there's a little bit more. But this scene really showcases how persuasive Saruman is as a as a wizard, which mm-hmm. I didn't remember from before, but I thought was interesting because Gandalf goes to talk to him to try to convince him either to join their side or to stop being a bad guy. And they talk about how the way that he talks to uh, Theoden would have his men thinking that Gandalf was actually there to ruin them. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, is different, I think. I don't know. I guess that highlights how he would be able to convince people to join his side. Yeah. I think it's really on brand for Mary and Pippin to be the guards of the gate at Isengard when, you know, Gandalf and company show up and they're sunbathing, dozing, smoking. Mm-hmm. Very on brand. Mm-hmm. Gandalf and the other people go off. Aragorn and, come, and Legolas and Gimli stick around and Mary and Pippin are like, we have tobacco and food. Who's hungry? <laughs> yeah. I know. They're such good hosts. They immediately slip into Hobbit host mode. Mm-hmm. Which I think is great. Yes. Yes. Even when they've been held captive, um, like the first thing that Pippin does when he loosens his um, bonds up a little bit is look for snacks mm-hmm. mini snacks yeah like you can check on mary nope snacks mm-hmm. first <laughs> snacks first all right oh they're so inquisitive like they just to their detriment they are curious when Wormtongue throws the Palantir out of the tower, Isengard, Pippin picks it up. Gandalf immediately takes it from him. And then that night, he's so nosy, he just can't stand not knowing what it is. And he's upset because Gandalf won't tell them. Like, he just wants to know. He just wants to know what it is. And Gandalf won't say. And so he steals it and then does the mind meld thing and almost ruins everything for them. And I feel like this is something that you would do. Gandalf would take it away and be like, no, that's mine and you don't need it. It's not for you. And you would be like, "Mm, but why? (laughs) You're right. I would be like, but why? And then I'd pester the pester and be like, what is it? Is it bad? Is it evil? What happens? What is it? Why'd you take it so quickly? And then I would get us killed by like orcs or goblins or something because of all my talking and being really loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I very much, you should not take me on adventures like this. I would not do well. Yeah. 
Um, I would like for you to ask your sister if it's possible to sleep on a moving horse. Okay. Is Pippin is like Pippin is supposed to. He and Gandalf take off in the night, and Gandalf's like, "We're gonna ride for three or four days, so sleep while you can." And I guess a rocking motion would be soothing, but it seems like it would require a lot of muscular effort to stay on a horse. How do you relax your muscles enough to sleep on one while it's moving? Um, I, I mean, if you're tied to it, I could, I could see it being easier. I mean, Gandalf um, is supporting him. So yeah. I'm going to fall off of the horse. I just don't think that I could relax my muscles, even if someone was supporting my body enough to go to sleep on a moving death rocket. All right. I texted my sister, our resident horse expert. We'll see what she says. There we go. There we go. Um, so this book was divided into two sections. The first part was Aragorn and company's adventures. And then the second part was Frodo and Sam's adventures. And uh, I definitely made it harder to read Frodo and Sam's adventures because just didn't find them as interesting or enjoyable and I think having the stories mixed together would have made it a little more um, palatable or easy to get through mm -hmm. I agree a lot of descriptions a lot of walking not a ton of dialogue the dialogue that there is is very complainy mm -hmm. repetitive I guess in some situations yeah, yeah. It was definitely harder to get through them than, than the first half. And I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sam's relationship with Frodo remains kind of unbalanced. He realizes that he loves Frodo. I feel like we get pretty minimal dialogue from Frodo too. The only time we have like internal thought from Frodo is when Gollum is captured by Faramir's men at the Forbidden Pool, and he's trying to convince Gollum to let the men take him. And he realizes at that moment that he's tricking Gollum, and Gollum is never going to trust him again. Yeah. I'm trying to think. There was one other part where he's talking about the ring that we get some insight to him about how heavy it is mm -hmm. but that's it and like and the second half of the book I mean it's half the book that's what we get I mean how many pages is it I don't know like 120 or something the second half of the book yeah maybe more I don't know it's a lot and it feels like a lot of it is spent walking mm -hmm. or preparing the rabbits to be eaten or Oh yeah, they went so in depth with that rabbit. So okay, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot mm -hmm. of description surrounding the preparation of the rabbits and the herbs and getting the water and okay, fine, sure. The entire contents of Samwise's backpack, that rope, gotta have that rope. That rope, salt, two pans, a knife, mm -hmm. a spoon, a fork. 
So more rope. Three things of rope, I think you've got. I mean, okay, fine, sure. It's a lot of description for a meal. Um, I don't know. And also his realization that he loves Frodo too. I mean, it was sweet. Like Sam realizes that he does love Frodo. Again, I get the vibe. I know that they're just friends, but I get the vibe. Like there's some type of romantic something or other here. Mm-hmm. But they're they're just friends. Okay. I don't understand where these really strong feelings about Frodo are coming from. Yeah, I don't either. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like Frodo just hasn't done anything to demonstrate that sort of worship or something like Bilbo. Bilbo is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I get it with Bilbo. Mm-hmm. But with Sam? Yeah. Or not Sam, Frodo. Sam's like friendship with Frodo. I don't get yeah. it. I don't get it. When they meet Faramir. So initially, I didn't like Faramir, and I know that you didn't really like Faramir initially either. Mm-hmm. I think he is appropriately cautious upon running into two children sized creatures in the woods yes as I was reading it even though I'm being annoyed by him I was like I mean I get it but this is annoying move on yeah um especially in the context of knowing that his brother is dead and stuff like that and running into people who knew his brother and had seen him recently I feel like he is I think this is a normal reaction in this Mm -hmm. situation I feel like Faramir gives off big dick energy. I like him. He -hmm. has boundaries. He does the thing that he's supposed to, the things that he's supposed to as part of his role and his job, but he's honest and he uses judgment and he questions things instead of just deciding to kill Gollum for fishing in the pond and to kill Frodo and Sam for being in the land. He doesn't just jump to these points. I feel like Faramir is pretty secure in who he is. Mm-hmm. he makes an oath not to steal from frodo and he honors it even when he finds out that his brother or that frodo is carrying the ring he acknowledges that boromir is a great leader but he recognizes his flaws too Faramir mm-hmm. strikes me as being super level-headed yeah i think so i think probably part of it is because his dad didn't like him so he had to learn to love himself there you go <laughs> on top of doing everything that he could right to Mm -hmm. please his father so he learned all of this stuff became this person realizes he was never going to get his father's love and was like fine i will just accept me for who i am i will love myself (laughs) yeah there i gave him a backstory (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i liked him and i appreciated his character in this story yeah yeah I think that I mean you know it's probably my one of my favorite parts of the second second book because it's the only thing that's like stuff happened Mm -hmm. there's that part that I really liked and then the only other scene I can think of really from the second book that stuck with me or second half that stuck with me was um the conversation that Frodo and Sam have about adventures 
Mm -hmm. right? It's this cute moment where you do kind of see their friendship, right? And Sam is like, it strikes me, you know, the people who actually go on adventures just kind of had it thrust upon them, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, So those two things stuck out to me. Yeah. I like that conversation too, especially because they kind of talk about how I, I feel like it must be a really odd experience to realize that you're part of historical events that will be legendary one day. Mm-hmm. If you can survive long enough to share your tale. Right. Yeah. So, and they talk about how people take off on some of these things and are never heard from again, and their story doesn't get told. And so we have these sort of people that appear maybe that are unknowns in history. Mm-hmm. That have taken great steps and done great things, but their story never gets shared because they died or disappeared before the story could be told. Yeah. My sister responded. Um, she said, if you were really tired, you could probably fall asleep, but you would also fall off. She mm-hmm. said, think about falling asleep in class or in the car. You might start to sleep, but as soon as you lose balance, you wake up. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of what I pictured. Yeah. Like every, but I mean, it would be like every minute or two, you know, you doze off. It'd be one of those things where like, you know, your head all of a sudden starts to droop and then you jerk awake. Yeah. It'd be essentially that. Yeah. It's crazy to me when they finally get to Shelob's lair that they let Gollum lead them into the dark and he disappears God. and they're like, huh, I wonder where he went guess we'll just keep going and they don't think to pull out Frodo's little star necklace until they've gotten stuck in a hole and there's something following them my child I would have that nightlight thing out as soon as we hit the dark like literally they're blind and it's so dark they can't see they're just going by what they can feel with their hands who does that hobbits Frodo and then they find out it's a giant spider and this would be the end of the road for me. Mm-hmm. I would nope right out of this situation. I'll see you when the world's over. It's been nice being alive. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. Hard pass. Yep. Yep. I would, yeah. I would just turn around. Honestly, you probably couldn't get me to go in the dark cave like that to begin with. I'd be like, mm, once Gollum disappeared, I'd be running back out. Yeah. I'd be like, nope, 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 nope. Nope, nope, nope. Hard pass. Mm-hmm. Hard pass. But Sam does really well and stabs, um, stabs the spider. Yeah, he stabs the spider. He's very brave. Sam mm-hmm. is so courageous in this moment. He fights off Gollum. Mm-hmm. He fights off Shelob. He gets underneath her and she like forces her, like she drops herself down on that sword. Really, she's her own undoing in this situation because it yeah. talks about how hard her belly is. She's the one that forces herself down and it does mm-hmm. not work out well. And then poor Sam thinks Frodo is dead and he's heartbroken. Mm-hmm. And again, super courageous because he realizes, okay, this is my time. Yeah, Frodo couldn't carry it, so I will take up the ring and I will do this for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Brave Sam. Brave Sam. Mm -hmm. Courageous. And then Brave Sam again. And Smart Sam, too. He puts the ring on when he realizes the orcs are coming. And then when he finds out that Frodo's still alive, he's just in a, I don't know, coma, basically, or passed out. He takes off after them. Mm -hmm. And then that's that's where we leave off, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Frodo passed out. Sam going after him. Yep. All right. Well, that wraps up our discussion for the two towers. Do you have um, any quotes that you liked? Yeah. So I have do not meddle in the affairs of wizards for they are subtle and quick to anger. I think it's solid advice. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. I have the burned hand teaches best. After that, advice about the fire goes to the heart. I like that one too. I highlighted that as well. Mm -hmm. Experience is a great teacher. Mm -hmm. It is. Mm. It reinforces some of those lessons that are hard to learn as well. Yeah. For this case, for Pippin, it's to not be so nosy. <laughs> I totally would not learn my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep reaching back into that fire. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay well that wraps up the two towers by mr tolkien or sir tolkien i guess he was knighted jrr tolkien join us next week we will wrap up this series with the return of the king and that's that thanks for listening Thank you for listening to Literary Quest. We hope you enjoyed our episode. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we can be found at Literary Quest Podcast on Instagram or Facebook. You're also welcome to share your thoughts and ideas with us via email at literaryquestpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again. <laughs>